The biggest questions in the biggest games in week two in the Conference of Champions and second edition of the Pac-12 Prime Picks didn't go so well for me in week one. So I brought in a friend to help that man, Danny Cannell, coming on later on today's show. A great one heading into the weekend. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, do one play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. Love the engagement, love the listenership, everybody who has been a part of this show and is going to be going forward. I appreciate all of you out there. And I also appreciate having football games. And we're going to start with our biggest questions of what I think are going to be the best games of uh, the weekend for the Pac-12 looking across the conference. Now, a couple that I didn't include in here because I don't think they're going to go the way the Pac-12 is uh, potentially hoping, though they are opportunities. Arizona State at Oklahoma State, Going to talk about that later with Danny Cannell, CBS Sports uh, college football analyst. I don't think ASU has a good chance of keeping that one close. Also, Washington State plays at Wisconsin. They'd have to play so much better than they did in week one against Idaho to win that game. It's a loud environment at Camp Randall. Fans are going to be doing jump around at the end of the third quarter. Like That's a tough place to win. They're 17-point underdogs. Colorado, 17.5-point underdog to uh, Air Force. That'd be a nice win for uh, the Buffs and then some, but again, I don't see any of those going that way. But what I think are going to be the best games of uh, the weekend and in order, number one, Oregon State at uh, Fresno State. Two biggest questions from the three biggest games, starting with uh, this one, the Pac-12 Mountain West showdown. Second straight Mountain West opponent for Oregon State. Don't think I've seen that before, at least not recently, for any team in the Pac-12 to play back-to-back non-conference games against the same conference. Typically, you hop around a little bit the way Arizona's going to do. We'll get to them here in a moment. But two questions in this game for Oregon State. The defense is going to deal with a quarterback in Jake Hayner that Pac-12 fans should know by now. One-time Washington commit looked like I thought he would come up with Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State to Washington. I was surprised that he didn't. The reports early on, I think, were that he was going to and then decided to stay at Fresno State with Jeff Tedford coming in. But can that Oregon State defense make Jake Hayner look anything like how Bachmeyer looked for Boise State in week one? Because he got benched. He was four of eight for 30 yards, a couple of picks, and then he got benched for the backup. And that's a guy who's expected to be one of the better QBs in 2022 in the Mountain West, uh, I'm pretty sure, at least in the top uh, you know, four or five or so. And he looked abysmal because that Oregon State defense was flying around. Spates was making tackles. Wright had an interception. Jaden Grant was seemingly in on every play. I, I can't remember one that I watched where the defense made a play for Oregon State where Jaden Grant wasn't at least in the picture. And he graded very well, according to PFF as one of the two or three highest graded safeties in the conference from last weekend. I don't know how he was a number one. He looks so good. But I, I didn't study it, you know, play by play the way that the PFF probably did. But nice recognition for him there. Very well uh, deserved. 
But this is a different animal in, in Jake Hayner, I, I think. And coming into this season, you'd probably have to look at Hayner as perhaps the top quarterback in uh, the Mountain West, a guy who beat UCLA a year ago in a thriller, very nearly won at Oregon in Eugene. Uh, this is someone who just is, is an absolute gamer, and the guy is really good uh, as well. You can't forget that component, and he was uh, he was sharp. He was sharp in, in week one, 300 yards, couple touchdowns through the air. So I, I just wonder if the Oregon State defense is going to make him struggle or whether or not it'll be a little bit more of a shootout because no points at the half, exceptional from that Oregon State defense in week one. Can they do something like that again, hold Fresno State to you know, maybe 10 points or fewer in, in the first half? I think that'd be a really good place to be when you have a quarterback the likes of Jake Hayner back there. Question number two is, Oregon State's quarterback, Chance Nolan. He was so sharp. Faded a little as the game went on. One of those interceptions wasn't uh, really on him, but end of the game with, with with two touchdowns and two picks, but early on, he was razor sharp. I mean, he was completing deep balls, executing well, putting the ball in the money. Doubled a couple drops, too. He's 13-24 through the air, and a couple of those were definitely on his receivers. But can he be that sharp early? Or is he going to, you know, maybe get off to a slower start and then play better as uh, the game goes on? I think that's a big question here because when you're on the road, falling behind is really, really tough. And if Chance Nolan, let's say he has an interception in this game, if it comes early and that turns into a Fresno State scoring opportunity, then Oregon State suddenly is feeling like they're behind the chains a little bit and not feeling as confident as they are going into this game. And they should have all the confidence in the world after how they dismantled Boise State there in week one. So those are my two biggest questions in that game. How does that Oregon State defense fare against Jake Hayner? And how is Chance Nolan going to look in week two? Because biggest thing we talked about with him coming into the year, protect the ball, be more consistent. He was very good in week one. Can he do it again in week two? It's going to be a recurring theme here on the show as we look at the Beavers in 2022. Second game I'm most excited for this weekend, Arizona against Mississippi State. I mean, been talking about it all week, justifiably so. What a win that was for the Wildcats. Absolutely fantastic to not just win on the road against a good Mountain West team in San Diego State, but to win by 18 was really impressive, and all the newcomers showed out. Jacob Cowing, Jaden Delora were the, the stars of the offense. The two questions I have in this game one is on the defensive side for Arizona and one on the offensive side. Defensively, how do you slow down the air raid from Mike Leach, one of the original architects of that brand of offense that has swept across college football in some respects and other teams don't go with that uh, particular way to play offense. Arizona does not. Oregon State does not. A lot of teams don't, but some do. And uh, the question is, how do you slow down the air raid? And every defense coordinator kind of has their own uh, different approach for how you defend a team that's going to throw the ball 50 to 60 times a game minimum. I mean, it's usually in the 60. I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah, 49 passing attempts for Will Rogers in week one against Memphis. Yeah, that's like the lowest amount he usually has in the high 40s. So it'll be 50 to 60 times letting it fly. Do you sit in coverage? Do you try to bring pressure, win one-on-ones? But you have to be able to slow it down. They scored 49 points against uh, a team in Memphis that is respectable year in and year out. Granted, I have not previewed or talked about them at all, or I don't know that much about them. But generally speaking, that's a team out of the American that is respectable. And, and they put up 49 points. That's not something that, that can be ignored. And Will Rogers is 38-49 of 49 for 450 yards, five touchdowns, 
and a, a pick. And I don't know what Johnny Nansen, the defensive coordinator for Arizona, who had a great week one, allowing just 20 points on the road, is is going to approach here, how he's going to approach it, rather. Do you want to let your guys play one-on-one? Do you want to sit in zone, drop seven and eight on, on every play? How do you get pressure on Will Rogers? There are all questions there about how you're going to try and, and just slow him down. Or maybe you look to the offense and say, let's play possession. Let's use clock and let's not let them be on the field for very long. A theme that'll be in uh, the third game I'm most excited to watch this weekend. And, and then question number two for this Arizona-Mississippi State game before we get to Stanford and USC how do Jacob Cowing and Jaden Delore perform against an SEC defense? It's not a team that is known for having elite defenses, but they still recruit at a high level, and we see it year in and year out. I know Pac-12 fans are probably tired of hearing it. It's just a reality. The whole SEC bias deal, it's because they have better players. They recruit better players, and even the, their highly rated recruits seem to be a step above where other conferences, especially the Pac-12, are at. We saw it with Oregon and Georgia uh, last weekend. So. How are those two going to be able to get involved? How will they perform against probably the most athletic defense they are going to face this season, or certainly one of them? And they were really, really good in their Arizona debut, but they have to get it going again. That has to be a reliable pairing for Arizona as the season goes on. What are the biggest questions between the Stanford Cardinal and the USC Trojans. I will tell you after I remind you this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up the college football season. They focus on having an easy-to-play model. You sign up, you can win cold hard cash in a single game. They have investment backing from the likes of Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and more, and they're focused on building superior products for fun user experience. Sign up with the promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Deposit $100, get $100 free. It's that easy. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On in the App Store or Google Play. Get in on the college football pick'em action today. All right, switching over to USC and Stanford. The first interconference, or is it intra? I don't know. The first Pac-12 matchup of the 2022 season features uh, the Cardinal playing host to the Trojans in Palo Alto. USC, a nine-point favorite here. Not one of my Pac-12 prime picks. I would lean towards the Trojans, though. And here are the two biggest questions I've got going into this game. Can Stanford's offense keep up with USC? That's why I like the Trojans, because they're just so much more explosive on that side of the ball. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, and the litany of other receiving weapons that he has at his disposal with Austin Jones, former Stanford running back, and Travis Dye, the Oregon transfer. There's a lot of weapons there. The question I have for Stanford is, can their offense keep up with USC that, that has a defense that we have some questions about. They look good in week one. They they forced turnovers. They allowed just 14 points, but that was against Rice. Now you're playing against Stanford that certainly has a deeper roster than uh, the Rice. I actually don't know what their mascot is. Yeah, I legitimately do not. Owls, they're the Owls. They're the, they're the Rice Owls. So the Owls and the Cardinal, Stanford's got the better overall roster there, but is this a game where Stanford is going to be able to rely on Tanner McKee and put up, you know, 30 plus points because USC could very well do that to the Cardinal if their defense does not come uh, rocking, rearing and ready to go. Um, but the other option offensively is what Stanford used to do. And I talked about this with regards to the Cardinal coming into the year. 
they've kind of gotten away from from their identity and what made them great, and that's ball possession and, and keeping the ball away from the other team's offense by having long, sustained drives. And that might be a formula for David Shaw this week. You don't want USC to score 35 to 40 points, then don't give them that many chances, right? You have to be able to go down the field, even if you just get a field goal sometimes. If you take seven, eight minutes off the clock, that's two or three possessions for USC, depending on how quick and how explosive they can be in a, a given drive. So I wonder how the Cardinal offense is going to approach this matchup with uh, USC. And then for the Trojans, I think the biggest question is, can the defense force multiple turnovers again the way they did in week one uh, against Rice? If they force two or more, I think that's what you might call a, a padlock stat uh, from uh, Josh Pate, for those of you who watch. I, I'm, I'm a fan of his, and I like that term, padlock stat. USC, two or more turnovers, they are going to win that game because I don't think that if the Cardinals squander two chances, you know, whether it's giving USC the ball deep in their own territory or having a turnover in the red zone that thwarts a potential opportunity to get on the scoreboard, I don't think the Cardinal are explosive enough on offense to be able to overcome something like that. It's just not something that that is in the cards, right? The way this has to play out, if Stanford's going to pull the upset here of now 10th ranked USC as a nine point underdog at home, They've got to control the clock. They've got to be able to run the football, and they have to be able to protect the football as well. If Tanner McKee throws two picks and there's a fumble in there too, I think that's too many possessions that that'd be given away for for Stanford to be able to win this game. All right, let's get to our Pac-12 prime picks featuring Danny Cannell. I'm thrilled to be joined here today on Locked On Pac-12 by Danny Cannell, CBS college football analyst. Danny, it is great to have you in to talk about uh, some gambling. This segment brought to you by Bet Online. Check out Bet Online for updated college football playoff Heisman and conference odds, along with Week Two game spreads, which we are going to get to here in our beloved Conference of Champions. And Danny, your first appearance right here on the show. It is great to meet you and great to talk to you, man. Spencer, it's great to be on. I feel like I've been a longtime defender of the Pac-12, trying to ensure that they're not forgotten about. It's driven me nuts that they haven't had an opportunity in the playoffs, and that's one of the reasons I've been a proponent for expansion, but I love the Pac-12, love talking about it. It's been a little bit of a rough go of it. The future is uncertain, but I am a fan of the Pac-12. I even wore, I got a little Park City shirt on. I was out that way. Like I was in Salt Lake. I flew in, went to Park City. So I went by Utah's facility. I've called games out there. I think I've called games at almost every stadium in the Pac-12 too. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the conference without question. Yeah, Park City is beautiful. I, I've been up there before. It, it's a it's a lovely town. It's a really, really great area. And, and before we get into the, the bets, I, I just have to ask you, which, which stadium would you say was your favorite to call a game in the Pac-12? It's a tough call. You got a lot of you got a lot of quality options there. I tell you, Rice Eccles with the mountains in the background, you know, there's so much talk about Provo similar with the Y on the Hill, but I'm telling you, I'm a fan of the um uh, landscape with the mountains it was just a beautiful game i called a friday night game it was them against uh stanford i believe it was uh utah versus stanford great scene i like a, I like a it's hard to find in college football i like a stadium that's close to a downtown i also like calling games at u-dub with the sailgating scene it's louder oh, yeah. than people think there are some yep. great stadiums and a lot of stadiums near cities in the pac-12 which is yeah. great so yeah i've called them all it's hard to beat the rose bowl too you know i've called ucla games out there the rose bowl is hard to top. That's probably got to be it for a bucket list, but that just shows you like how many good venues there are in the league. Yeah, there, there are a lot of great ones and some very interesting lines to look at here in 
week two. Uh, generally speaking, for people out there, <clears throat> and excuse me, and, and I clearly need some help in this realm as well. My Pac-12 prime picks are off to an 0-3 start in 2022. Less a prime cut of beef and more like a, a stale one that you throw in the freezer and hope that it, it comes out and is edible. But mine were not a, a week ago. When you're looking at college football, it's very different than the NFL because you can get some big 17, 20, 30-point lines if you're looking at the right matchup. Whereas in the NFL, if you have a double-digit line, it's you know kind of a shock, a little bit of an outlier and such, and the Jaguars are usually involved. So uh, when you're looking at college football and, and how to pick lines that, that are appealing and are going to have some value, what are kind of your, your general guidelines for the fans out there who want to get in on the action, specifically using Bet Online, of course? You mentioned some of the big numbers. Michigan is a 51-point favorite against Hawaii <laughs> this weekend. I mean, I, that's on like the big lines in the NFL. You'll see 12, 13, maybe 14, two touchdowns. I think the I think the thing about college football where there's opportunity is there's more emotion, and I think it's a more passionate fan base, and that flows in. I think you see that reflected in a lot of the lines. There's massive overreactions, and a lot of them take place from week one to week two on various teams, on various programs. And I tend to, like even though Hawaii has been awful, they've been outscored 112 to 27 in that game. I know it's the Big Ten, but I'm still kind of like, the spread, when the spread has been since 2000, when you've had a 50 plus point spread, the favorite is two and six. So it kind of like shows you there are some trends you can follow. And even though it feels like it's impossible and how the heck is this, you know, how is Hawaii going to cover? It just, there, there's overreactions from week one to week two and throughout the course of the entire season. And I usually try to fade those overreactions. You'll see uh, totals get out there where they're in the high 60s. And you're like, all right, we know we'll probably get a shootout. And there are a lot of shootouts in college football. But the majority of the time, I like to try to fade some of those, take the under as opposed to these massively high numbers that get up in the 70s sometimes and try to jump on those. So I think it's more reactive and more emotional than you see on the NFL stage where it's so hard to find an edge with those lines, which are so tight. Let's get to some of the Pac-12 games of the weekend, and I'll be uh, revealing here my Week 2 Pac-12 Prime picks. And look, if you're coming into it as a listener or a viewer here, if you're watching on YouTube and saying, I'm going to fade Spencer's picks all the way after the 0-3 start, you know, do it, do it at your own risk. Do it at your own risk. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. First game is one of the biggest one the Pac-12 has from an opportunity standpoint in the college football landscape this week to kind of you know get a little bit of their reputation back or just pick up a nice non-conference win, which have unfortunately been a few and far between for the Conference of Champions. But I'm going against a Pac-12 school here. Oklahoma State giving up 11 points, minus 11 against Arizona State. This game being played in Stillwater. I, I think that that crowd is worth at least five or six points. I mean, this would probably be less than a touchdown if it were be playing in Tempe. But I looked at ASU, and eventually they got the result you were looking for against NAU, a 40-3 to blowout of the FCS Lumberjacks there in Tempe at home. But they got off to a sluggish start, and they can't afford that in Stillwater, certainly if they want to win the game. But I'm a big Oklahoma State fan, not literally, of course, but in the, I like their team, and their program is just solid and consistent year in and year out. And I think at home, Oklahoma State is going to be able to cover that it's kind of a big number but I, I think ASU is not quite being able to put it together at, at this point in time to be able to to keep it within two touchdowns 
All right, we have to keep track of these because the next time I come on, I want to like say, all right, we were on the same side and we were right, or like how do we <laughs> yeah. go head to head? I'm actually on the same side of you with this one. I'd lay the 11 with the Cowboys. Their week one uh, victory over Central Michigan, the score was a little bit deceiving because Central Michigan actually did cover and o Oklahoma State's uh, defense was a disaster. It was a complete sieve. Spencer Sanders, who had four touchdowns on the uh, air, two more on the ground. They actually did one of those things where you take them, you rest your starters. They had to put him back in the game like to avoid a disaster loss. They were comfortably ahead. I think this is the type of game that is Mike Gundy, the head coach at Oklahoma State. It's his dream scenario because Arizona State's a tough opponent. I think maybe they took Central Michigan a little bit lightly, let off the gas towards the end. Now they're going to be full throttle. Hey, we have to play 60 minutes, and I think that could mean a long night for Emory Jones, the transfer quarterback. Uh, Valaday, the transfer running back. I mean, this is college football now. All we do is talk about transfers, where they used to play. <laughs> but I do think Stillwater is one of those places, and I think Oklahoma State is still a big-time contender to win the Big 12. I wouldn't say the same for Arizona State, so I think it might be a rough uh, Pac-12 loss there for Arizona State. Yeah, I, I agree. And the Big 12 is certainly more comparable to the Pac-12 from a conference depth perspective. But uh, the Big 12, I think, still has uh, the advantage there. It's not the Pac-12 SEC gap that we saw play out over uh, the first weekend of college football. But can I, I say? I, oh, can I just? I, I wanted to hit on that because Oregon's Georgia gap was wide, right? But yeah. Georgia's gap with everybody is wide, including the other teams in the SEC. Utah, on the other hand, I think Utah, now this is a massive if, I think Utah, if they ran the table, they should absolutely still be in the playoff conversation. I agree. If not locked into the playoff, I saw way too many people writing off Utah saying, oh, they can't, that's a middle of the road SEC team. That's garbage. And the best thing that happened to Utah was the Florida Gators making a massive jump in the rankings because all of a sudden, it's a top 15 loss. Florida's ranked 12 now. That does not look bad at all. So if there's any Utah fans feeling like, hey, man, maybe our season is lost, it is not. Now they need to make sure they take care of business playing in the Pac-12. They still go and they go 11-1 uh, and one and win the Pac-12. I think they're very much in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think they're in that conversation. It just is a lot tougher than it would have been if, if, if sure. you won that game. And look, right now, it feels to me that it's a it's a tough loss and a tough look for the conference for your champion to not be able to beat a team that at best will probably be in the SEC and might be around fifth. But if they do go nine and three this year in the SEC in a couple months, that loss does not look as bad. But if Florida sputters out at the end and ends up at like seven and five or six and six again, which look doesn't look likely because Anthony Richardson might be playing himself into a first round quarterback here in a, a couple years. I think that it would be pretty punitive then at, at that point in time. But Utah fans, though they have to deal with the sting of losing to Florida, you got to be a Florida Gators fan because you're right. They're not out of the playoff conversation. You still have Oregon. You still have USC on the schedule. UCLA could find themselves in the top 25 at some time uh, this year if they perform the way that I, I expect them to. So I think there are enough wins in a 12-1 and conference champion Utah. I, I agree with you. would certainly be uh, in the playoff. Let's get to game a number two that I like. And I wanted to put this in week one, but I just wasn't quite sure. But Oregon State opened up a one-and-a-half-point underdog at Fresno State. The line has flipped to the other side, and the Bees are now minus one. 
basically a pick 'em there. Yeah, you got to give up a, a, the one point, but I was so impressed with what Oregon State showed in Week One uh, against Boise State. They're playing Fresno State, same conference, going on the road this time for a Mountain West opponent. And uh, look, they've just clearly made a bunch of strides. I mean, they lost to a Mountain West team in Utah State in uh, the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl at the end of the 2021 season. They've taken a step forward, and I'm, I'm doubling down on the Bees. I loved them coming into this year, and I'm taking them right here after what they showed in that week one outing. This is a tricky one. I'll go with you on this one. Fresno State, it's going to be a tough out, but I like Oregon State here as the dog. A pretty impressive performance week one. I think Jonathan Smith is building something pretty special. If Chance Nolan can clean up the interceptions, which I do think he will, there's always that kind of big jump that you have to take from week one to week two. I think he'll clean those up. Jay Kaner, the quarterback for Fresno State, is tough. He's beaten Pac-12 teams before. I think this will be a tough physical game. I think they'll be able to keep Fresno State in, uh, in check. So I'll go ahead and take the Beavers as well. And the, and the Beavs' defense is what was one of the biggest question marks coming into this year. And if they play the way they did in week one, you know, nine or ten times this season, that could be a nine or, or ten win team. Now, that that's a pretty large if at this point in time. But I don't know how much better of a start Trent Bray could have gotten off to as a new defensive coordinator in Corvallis. You forced five turnovers. You hold Boise State scoreless in the first half. Boise State had to bench their quarterback, a guy in, I think his name's Trent Brockmeyer. I'm actually calling their game Friday night. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's supposed to, that he was supposed to be one of the best quarterbacks in the Mountain West, and they benched him in, in the middle of that game. Now, the, the assumption there is that they'll go back to him for their uh, a week two opponent and such, but that's how good that Oregon State defense was. Boise State had absolutely nothing, had to make a change for a team that uh, shouldn't have had any questions at, at the quarterback position. Um, so I like the Beavs. They're only giving up a point. I don't know if I would have given up a field goal or, or more, but less than a field goal there. I, I think Oregon State is going to be able to get that done. Uh, finally, this is an interesting one. Uh, sticking with the Mountain West Pac-12 battle, this is one of my uh, trap games I talked about yesterday here on the show. I, I don't know if Cal loses to UNLV, but that, that number sitting there at, at 13 points, I, I'm not super high. I know the Bears had a good week one. They were playing UC Davis. Now they're playing an FBS opponent and a, a team that is bordered on being an FCS opponent in UNLV for the last decade or so as a football program, unfortunately. But... I feel like this is one of those games. Cal lost to a pretty middling Nevada team a year ago at home. It's not a great home field advantage there in Berkeley. 13 is quite a bit for an offense that I still have questions about going into the year. I'm, I'm taking UNLV plus 13 on, on the road against Cal here. I don't think they win, but I, I like them to cover. All right, good. I didn't want to be on the same side of you with all these, so I'll go ahead and take <laughs> the opposite side just so we have some disagreement Here's the thing about Cal, and I'll give you one of my bad plays for last week. I actually had Cal potentially losing to UC Davis. Dan Hawkins, a buddy of mine, he used to be a broadcaster. They're a really good FCS program. They actually they knocked off Tulsa last season as a 22-point underdog. They were started as a 22-point underdog. People started to jump on them. I think it got down to as low as 13 in that game. That was a really worthy opponent that Cal – handled their business against Jack Plummer, another transfer quarterback, had three touchdown passes. They had a 100-yard rusher. I think this is one where Cal gets off to a better start. I'm not trusting UNLV just yet. 
to go and cover that spread. So I'll go ahead and lay the 13 and take the Cal Bears after disrespecting them in week one. See, I tell you, the emotions are real. They're real for everybody. So now I'm like, oh, I got to get back on Cal. I'm going to go ahead and jump on them, lay the 13, say they uh, impose their will against UNLV. It's a common thing that you see when fans or analysts or anybody is gambling is you miss out on a team that you were thinking about the week before. And so you feel inclined to take them next week. Like, fool me once, shame shame on you. But fool me twice, shame on me. Danny Cannell, our gambling expert, courtesy of Bet Online CBS College Football Analyst. Danny, great to have you on the show and great talking some picks. Well, we are definitely going to have to do this again. Absolutely, Spencer. Thanks for having me on. We'll definitely do it soon. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Enjoy the football this weekend and have a wonderful rest of your day.